0: If you learned that the unmet needs of legal consumers amounted to a multi-billion dollar opportunity, what would that mean for the legal industry? What would it mean for your firm? I'm Teresa Madich, and this is Matters. Matters is a podcast presented by Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider, where we look at small changes that can make a big impact on lawyers' daily lives and practices. For this episode, I spoke with Jack Newton, Cleo, CEO, co-founder, and author of the new best-selling book, The Client-Centered Law Firm. Jack and I spoke about one of the book's core concepts, the latent legal market, and why it matters. The latent legal market refers to the untapped potential of all the would-be legal clients who aren't currently using legal services to solve their legal issues, Consequently, it also refers to all the unrealized revenue that law firms could generate if they focused on providing the experience these would-be clients are looking for. No one understands this better than Jack, who has helped law firms grow, evolve, and meet changing client needs for more than a decade. A pioneer in the legal technology space, Jack has played a key role in ushering law firms into the cloud computing era. And he's now leading a paradigm shift towards the client-centered approach that will help law firms thrive in our experience-driven age.
1: I am Jack Newton. I'm the CEO and founder of Clio.
0: You're joining us today to talk a bit about the latent legal market, which is sort of an untapped legal market that you talk about in your new book, The Client-Centered Law Firm. This is a concept that's been talked about for years in the legal industry, but for those who haven't heard of it, maybe could you give a brief introduction?
1: So the latent legal market is a really important concept. And like you said, it's it's not a new concept. It's a, a concept, I believe, that was first introduced by Richard Susskind uh, in his 1996 book, The Future of Law. But the really key concept, and I think the reason the concept of the latent legal market is more relevant today than it's ever been, is just what a tremendous opportunity uh, that it presents for lawyers that are willing to innovate in the way that they're approaching the legal market. And the reason I think it's more relevant today than it's ever been is the opportunities to innovate are more plentiful than they've ever been in the last, you know, in the history of, of legal tools like, uh, technology, the internet, uh, cloud computing, uh, and even using the, the internet as a medium to communicate and collaborate with clients has really changed the, uh, the, the ways that a lawyer can approach the legal market and the way that they can approach this, this untapped market that is the, the latent legal market. Um, and, and maybe I'll, I'll go in a bit of depth just explaining what the, legal, the latent legal market is because it's, uh, I assume, a concept not everyone in the, the podcast is familiar with. And the basic idea is when we look at the, the legal market as a uh, you know, $437 billion a year market, which is the, the annual spend in the US on, on legal services in, in some total – that actually represents a relatively small part of the overall demand for legal services. So the World Justice Project uh, published a statistic recently that 77% of legal issues went unresolved by a lawyer. So, you know, the 437 billion dollars a year of spend that we see is coming from the 23% of the market that actually got connected with uh, a lawyer and had a lawyer service their, their need. And the way I look at the latent legal market, the, you know, the frame I use is when we look at it as a, a product market fit concept, we can see that there's actually a relatively small amount of fit between the product, which is legal services as lawyers deliver them today, uh, and the market, which is the, uh, the people that need help with their legal problems. And the fact that there's only 23% of that market that actually successfully connected with a lawyer and had a lawyer deliver that service, I think is huge evidence of a a disconnect between the way lawyers are delivering legal services and the way consumers want to consume them. So when we look at that 77% of demand for legal services, that is... Kind of below the waterline, you know, and, and hidden from uh, from a, a typical lawyer, that's where there's an enormous opportunity. That's where there's, you know, if you if you do the math, it's a, a a trillion dollar plus opportunity sitting out there for the taking for lawyers that can figure out how to better bridge the gap between the services they're offering, the way they're pricing their services, the way they're delivering their services, and the consumers that actually want to tap into and access those those services. Um, I think the the really interesting opportunity here is that you know 80 plus percent of lawyers tell us that they want more clients, they need more clients, and it's the number one thing they need to find to make their law firm more successful. So when you look at that disconnect between supply and demand on the legal services market, when you see so many lawyers saying, I need more clients... And then you see 77% of the, the demand side of the market saying, essentially, we need more legal services and need to access them more easily. Uh, that is just an unbelievable opportunity that uh, that's sitting out there for the, for the taking, for the lawyers that are willing to innovate and willing to uh, think about new ways of delivering their legal services.
0: I think it's interesting that you talk about this as a market because... As you've also brought up before, some other people in the legal industry talk about this as a gap, and as you've said, Starbucks never looked at the market and saw an access to coffee gap. So, is that a problem of perception in the industry holding people back?
1: Yeah, I, I think the the access to justice gap is, you know, in, in my mind, an interesting turn of phrase that you hear, you know, used in in legal circles. Uh, and I, I think the dangerous part about referring t- to the access to justice gap is I hear often the access to justice gap referred to as some kind of externality that somebody else needs to solve, you know, like the bar associations or the law societies or some, uh, some initiative that has funding from, from public dollars needs to solve the, the access to justice gap. But I think truly the access to justice gap is exactly the product market fit problem that we were describing earlier, where you see the fact that there's 77% of legal needs that go unaddressed by lawyers. And a huge part of that access to justice gap can be addressed and bridged by lawyers taking an entrepreneurial view on how they deliver their legal services and how they price their legal services. So, I do think that there is an access to justice gap. There's no question that there's people that need legal services that aren't having them met as as evidenced by the, the World Justice Project survey. But rather than looking at that as a, a problem that somebody else needs to solve, I think there's an enormous opportunity for innovative and entrepreneurial lawyers to look at that as an enormous opportunity for them and for them to move outside of the realm of what we often talk about which is you know kind of a fixed market with commodification happening and you know a, r- a race to the bottom in terms of pricing and so on I, th- I think when we see that discourse and see that discussion it's it's really centered around the 23% of the market that's currently having its needs properly met or at least met in some form by the way legal services are currently being delivered uh, but again, I think the, the kind of the growth mindset view, the, the view uh, looking at the, the glass as as half full is saying, great, we've got a good start with that 23% of the market and the $437 billion a year of, of revenue that's being generated from that portion of the market. But what about this 77%? How can we improve product market fit between legal services and the solutions that lawyers can deliver to clients and the clients that are clearly shouting out, looking for those, those services and looking to have their problems solved, but unable for whatever reason to successfully connect with a lawyer and have a lawyer deliver those solutions to them.
0: Right. So what are your opinions on how lawyers might do that and solve that issue, solve that product market fit issue?
1: That's where the entrepreneurial part of the equation comes in, comes in mind to me. Uh, I, I, I think it's being client-centered, for one, and working backward from what the problems the client is facing, trying to create empathy for the the client and truly understanding, you know, what are their problems? What's the journey that they go through when they are, are running up to encountering that legal issue? And what does their journey look like after they've encountered that legal issue? And how can you inject yourself into that journey to be somebody that can help help them progress and help them, resolve that legal issue that they've uh, that they've encountered. It's really understanding the market and understanding the you know of that 77% of, of legal needs that were unmet by a lawyer, understanding what specific slice of that do you want to try to serve and what are the barriers between uh, people encountering those challenges uh, and and yourself that might be able to help them solve those challenges So those barriers might be, awareness, they may not understand that uh, lawyers can help them solve that problem. It may be finding a lawyer, it may be actually you know, connecting with the right lawyer, deciding that uh, it may be the mode of communication that you ask them to reach out to you to engage with uh, with them on this case. Uh, it may be pricing, how are you structuring your, uh, your fees, how are you structuring th- your overall product offering to this market. And that's where you see, I think, all sorts of great examples in the legal marketplace of, uh, of people like Hello Divorce is a great example looking at a pain point that people experience and looking at a new way of innovating on and delivering services to a segment of the market that has previously uh, been unaddressed or at least under addressed by existing solutions.
0: I think what's also interesting is I've I've heard you talk about this happening in other industries as well. Like this is not a problem that's unique to legal. The problem of an untapped market is something that's been faced in other areas and people have actually been able to innovate and thrive and access those markets and come out on top. Um, Can you give some of those examples?
1: Absolutely. And I, I think one of the really exciting aspects of the latent legal market is that you know we can move from this uh, this zero-sum game kind of perspective on the market, where we look at the, the $437 billion market that exists today and say, you know, the business I, I, I win in this market is business that's being won from somebody else. And again, this, this kind of, I, I think, inherently threatening mindset that that induces where, where you feel like this is a, a fixed market, me winning is at somebody else's expense or vice versa. When you look at the latent legal market, you actually realize that there's an enormous opportunity uh, to grow the the size of the overall legal market and to to make the market uh, more – a market where people can really thrive and at the same time help bridge this access to justice gap. And I think there's a a number of examples of uh, disruptors and innovators that have gone into a market – and, and proven that it can be much bigger than the, the market that, uh, that existed previously. So one example I think that, that everyone, would be, uh, everyone is familiar with is, is Netflix. Uh, Netflix came into uh, a market you know, almost 20 years ago. They launched their DVD service and then obviously moved into to streaming over the last decade. But they, they were obviously disrupting uh, a competitor in the form of Blockbuster. And you, you hear this, this analogy all the time in legal circles that, you know, do you want to be Blockbuster? Do you want to be Netflix? Uh, but that's actually not, not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is actually one that's more interesting, which is Netflix has grown their revenues to be larger than Blockbusters ever were uh, and to be a significant multiple of Blockbuster's revenues at the peak of their existence. So part of the story is, yes, Netflix helped put Blockbuster out of business. Uh, I think Blockbuster helped put itself out of business for a variety of reasons as well, but the important takeaway from that uh, from that example is is actually that Netflix, because it brought an innovative approach to a market, was able to make the the market of people consuming videos and TV uh, a much bigger market than Blockbuster was ever able to. And I think that's the 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 analogy that really should get. Uh, legal professionals excited about the opportunity in legal is that if you're able to bring some of these innovative approaches to legal service delivery to the market, you're not just trying to win from the existing market. You can tap into completely new parts of the market in the same way that Netflix has tapped into an audience that is much broader and much deeper than the market that Blockbuster was ever able to, to reach. Uh, and there's some other instructive examples of this. We, we look at Airbnb, for example, as a player that was able to successfully uh, make home rentals more accessible than they've ever been. But this hasn't been at the expense of hotels. What this has actually done is increased travel worldwide overall. It's made travel more accessible to more people. And there's more people traveling than there's ever been in history. So this has actually got uh, a great side effect on the uh, on the traditional hotel industry because they're busier and more successful than they've, they've ever been uh, we've seen some very traditional industries like print publications pivot successfully to digital worlds we've also seen uh, you know the the landscape littered with the, the carcasses of many industries that or many publishers that have not been able to successfully transition to the digital age but we do have great examples like the Atlantic and the New York Times that have been able to very successfully pivot to a digital world and have revenues that are uh, now exceeding the revenues that they had at the peak of their print publications. So I do think that the opportunity for those that want to innovate and want to pivot aggressively to this new way of, of innovating, this new way of looking at the market through an entrepreneurial lens and a new way of leveraging technology to deliver legal services in in innovative new ways uh, can tap into an enormous market that has historically remained untouched by lawyers and and the broader legal services industry.
0: Do you have any practical tips for lawyers and how they can get started addressing and accessing this legal market in their own firms?
1: I would say that one of the most important aspects of being entrepreneurial and working, you know, backward from your customer's needs or your ideal customer's needs is, is doing this work of, of what is often called customer development. And that's understanding who your customer is, who your buyer is. And, and as I mentioned earlier, the, the journey they go through, uh, the customer journey that they, uh, they work through in, you know, discovering your legal services and then, what they want from you in, as you're delivering legal services to them. Uh, in my, my new book, I describe this approach overall is, as being client-centric. And this, this idea of being client-centric has so much power in terms of allowing you to truly understand your clients and uh, understand your future clients, importantly, and how you can cater and deliver uh, legal services to them effectively.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And this focus on client-centric, you also talk about being entrepreneurial. So this doesn't mean that you're just focusing entirely on like putting your clients before and above everything in your firm, and your business, right?
1: That's right. That's right. The, the concept of being client-centric is uh, very different from the idea of saying you're always putting your client first. And I, I think the The problem with using the frame of saying you're putting your client first is it does imply uh, a trade-off in the sense you're not putting your other firm members or yourself or your other clients first. Uh, And I don't think that trade-off is necessary. This can be a win-win for everyone involved, where if you're properly designing your law firm and the way you're delivering your legal services in a client centric way, it can actually benefit everyone in a really outsized way. It can benefit you. It can benefit the other members of your law firm. It can benefit the client. Uh, and this, this approach is actually a win, win, win that I think that client first doesn't necessarily convey.
0: That's interesting. So it's kind of like you're accessing this market and that that's great for you and your firm and you, and your clients are having happier experiences and you're also just happier coming to work and there's better processes and you're more entrepreneurial. Um so these things are both kind of happening and feeding into each other. What does that look like in the long term future for law firms in the legal market?
1: So I, I think the other concept I I describe in the book that I think is is closely tied to to what you just described is this this idea of uh a flywheel. And it's a concept that uh, uh, Jim Collins popularized in his his book, Good to Great. And the idea basically is that if you can design a flywheel for your business, where you're able to essentially get a virtuous cycle happening between the various inputs that you have in your business, uh, that will become a self-sustaining growth engine for your business in the same way that you know, a real physical flywheel as you put all the incremental effort into slowly getting it from a standstill to moving really rapidly. You know, it cons- conserves that momentum and keeps keeps moving on its own. The idea is that you can build that same kind of a flywheel for your business. So when you take this client-centric approach, you know, once you've, you've tapped into either the existing legal market or the latent legal market, by the way, the, the client-centric approach works uh, equally well for both. In fact, maybe I'd say it works especially well for the latent legal market, but it, it applies strongly to to both. When you take this client-centric approach, as you mentioned, you're you're getting happier clients. You're you're you've got happier employees at your law firm. You're happier. And one of the things we'll, we we see in law firms is that a significant amount of their growth comes from word of mouth and comes from referrals. And as you take this client-centric approach, you will end up with clients that are happier, more satisfied, and more likely to refer a friend to your law firm, more likely to refer uh, a colleague to your law firm, more likely to leave a positive review for you online. And that, of course, is one of the main inputs for a, a law firm's flywheel of of growth. So investing in this, uh, oh, oh, and by the way, the. That client is also more likely to become a repeat client, which is another component of the, the flywheel of growth. So when you focus on this client-centric approach, you're you're not only going to be able to obt- obtain new clients in a more effective way from the legal market and the, the latent legal market, but you're going to have uh, a self-perpetuating growth engine where more and more clients are being referred into your firm and drawn to your firm thanks to the the positive client experience that you're leaving your clients with.
0: That sounds really terrific for most law firms, especially, I think, the 80% of firms who say they need more clients, as you were mentioning earlier. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about what a client-centered law firm looks like? How can a firm be client-centered?
1: I talk about five key values that are associated with uh, a client-centered law firm in the um, in the book, and you know these these five key values are, are really I, I think what form a common backbone for law firms that have become you know successfully client centered. Uh, so those those values are number one, uh, developing deep client empathy, uh, and this this concept of empathy and truly putting yourself in the the shoes of your your clients, I think, is a, a really key concept and, and key to the, the customer development process I referred to earlier. Uh, the second value is practicing attentiveness and, and being uh, you know, as, uh, as responsive to your, to your clients as possible. Uh, we've seen both in our own legal trends report research at, at Clio as well as other research in the industry that responsiveness is one of the, the key factors that clients use in deciding not only which law firm to work with but how satisfied they are with the law firm that they work with. Uh, the third value is generating ease with communication so this is the concept of communicating with your clients in the uh, the medium of their choosing and in a way that is that is a good fit with their their overall requirements and needs for communication so this is this is calibrating for example you know maybe to a younger client base their preferred mode of communication will be text message that's you know re- recognizing that Your different clients will have uh, different requirements when it comes to communication and you you should really work backward from what they want and what they want to see. I think a great example of this even applies to client intake. When you uh, ask a client to phone you, for example, as their first point of contact with your law firm, uh, that can potentially create uh, friction for the many millennials out there that never want to use their phone as a phone, for example, uh, and maybe you should think about uh, online intake tools as an alternative. Uh, the fourth value is demanding effortless experiences. Uh, and this concept of effortless experiences is really a, a central concept that I explore quite extensively in the book. But the, the key takeaway is that the more effortless you are to work with, the more likely somebody is, number one, to stay loyal to you and to recommend you to, to others uh, and to have a positive overall experience. So. Designing an effortless client experience, looking at your client journey, your customer journey, and all of the touch points they have with your firm, and then thinking about how can you design everything around the interaction model with your law firm uh, to be more effortless. And and technology can obviously be a big part of that. The fifth and final value is creating clients for life. The idea that if you invest in delivering your services in a client-centered way, you will end up with clients that are loyal, that will come back to you for for long-term services. And and again, it, it it sounds like a a common sense idea, but this idea that you should be staying in touch with your clients and staying close to them as they go through either their their personal journey journey or their professional journey and having a better understanding of how you can you know, be helpful to them over that full life cycle, I think is uh, an enormous opportunity that is under leveraged by most lawyers. So it's the idea that you you stay in touch, stay close to them, understand how you can continue to help them. So those are the the five key values or or, or tenets associated with a, a client centric law firm and one that any law firm can easily put to work. Uh, in a daily basis and start to reap the rewards of becoming more client-centric.
0: Yeah. And they're very powerfully framed, but I would agree with you in that they do sound like common sense and very straightforward. Um, what do you think is the biggest barrier for law firms today who who haven't adopted this approach and who aren't accessing this latent legal market? Like what's holding them back?
1: It's a great question. I, I think that a lot of it falls back to how lawyers are trained, what tools they come out of law school with, and uh, their their natural instinct, I think, to default to you know the status quo, the way that they've seen legal services delivered by their peers, delivered by uh, others in the legal profession, and just this this amor- enormous amount of inertia that exists in the in the legal industry. So, you know, part of what I've I've tried to do with this book is really bring, you know, an outsider's perspective, in terms of here's how we approach building really successful product-centric centric companies like Clio to the legal market, and and talk about things like empathy and customer development uh, that are are again common sense topics, but but not necessarily embraced by the average lawyer in the way that they're practicing day to day. And the, some of the early feedback I've, I've gotten on the, the book is exactly that, that it's a useful almost wake-up call and a call to action to become, you know, more client-centric. And there's opportunity to, I, I think, be much more successful, uh, to be much happier, to have happier clients when you, take this, uh, when you take this approach.
0: Do you have any final words of encouragement for our listeners out there who might be hearing you talk about all this Opportunity out there, but might be experiencing some of that inertia or maybe like smaller or bigger setbacks in front of them before they can get there and access the slate and legal market.
1: I, I, I think that some of the friction that many lawyers encounter when they're looking at making these kinds of changes is looking at, at it as a transformative change that needs to be made in one fell swoop in, in kind of a boil the ocean kind of way. And it doesn't need to be that way. You can start making very small steps towards being more client-centric in your law firm with very incremental changes. And these can be uh, you know, really, really straightforward changes that allow you to better meet the needs of your, your clients that are not significant lifts. And you can just aim to make one of these small improvements uh, every day or every week, and you will slowly but surely Move on the path of of becoming truly client centric and start to reap those rewards in an incremental way. So I'd encourage uh, everyone to you know think about making small steps, um, and and feed those into a a feedback loop where you're you're looking at the the impacts those small changes have made and using those to inform what next set of small changes you want to make are. I, I think I'd like to just you know maybe underscore that. I think this is a tremendous once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that lawyers today have to bring to bear new types of innovation, new types of technology to deliver legal services in a way that they've never been, been delivered before. And that in turn opens up a market opportunity that is just unprecedented, I think, and something that uh, every lawyer that is yeah, innovative and entrepreneurial should be incredibly excited about because there's an opportunity not to just compete with the way that lawyers have been doing business for the last 50 years, but a way of tapping into a a huge, huge market that has not had its needs met historically and an opportunity to truly bridge the, the access to justice gap. And I think that's a really exciting opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to Matters. For more episodes, visit clio.com slash podcast. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. Matters is produced by Andrew Booth, Sam Rosenthal, Teresa Madich, and Derek Bolin, and by Clio, the world's leading cloud-based legal technology provider. If you'd like to learn more about Clio, please visit us at clio.com.